This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Every organization has processes in place to help achieve safety and business objectives. The question is, how do you ensure those processes are as effective and efficient as possible toward meeting those objectives? Joining me today to help answer that question and talk about a whole lot more is Pete Suska. Pete is principal at Operational Excellence LLC, also known as OPEX Safety. Uh, Pete, welcome. Great to be talking to you today. Uh, Great to, to talk to you too, Scott. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Glad to have you. Great to see you. So a lot to get to. So I thought we, we could we could start at the top and talk about process health. This is uh, something you you focus on a great deal when talking about you know improving both your safety and your business operations. So what is process health and why is examining it so critical to safety and business success? And how can organizations best go about that? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so let, let me frame it. Process health really. Uh, came into my mindset. Uh, I was working for a corporation that was trying to reach the Malcolm Baldrige uh, Award, and this was back in the 80s. And and uh, they put us through process improvement training, you know, long before the world of of uh, Six Sigma and all that. And so I started to 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 get a feel for this. I was like, this is interesting, and and ultimately started thinking about everything as as a process, you know, and thinking in the process kind of way of, of looking at things. And um, so that just kind of applied to everything that I looked at. So as I kind of went through my career in, in terms of operations management, functional leadership, and, and safety, of course, I started to look at everything as a process. And then that started to evolve into, okay, where do these processes come from? And, and, and how do we evolve these things? And, and how does that relate to what our organizational values are and all those things. And I just started moving, moving further and further along the chain of, of what you can see in, in my articles as this relationship between culture and unwanted outcomes. And uh, so what, what I've done it basically is use process health as a way that folks on the shop floor and operations can begin to see the nexus of where all the success and failure comes about in the organization in a practical way. So this process health really is, is a way to go look at a process. And, and I define processes very simply in, in terms of the way we go about doing something. You know, it, it could be the way you brush your teeth, or if you're really like your lawn, the way you go about cutting your lawn. You know, some people don't allow anybody else to cut their lawn, you know. And uh, so it, it really goes along with the value for the the you know, what you're trying to achieve. And, and, and I think a lot of people, when I say process, think of something complicated in their head. They think of this kind of enormous procedure and detail and burden and all that. And process should not be that because it isn't that. People make it that and sometimes unnecessarily. So if we go back to the origin is what is it we're trying to achieve and, and how do we do that in an efficient and effective way within the culture of the organization we're operating in? And, and so I, I basically... 
came up with some principles to go and look at that because that is a predictive aspect of looking at risk. And, and you know, I know a lot of safety professionals having a hard time right now trying to change their organization from outcome looking to risk looking and get people to really see risk and measure risk and use risk as part of the metrics of measuring the progress of an organization. But most organizations aren't measuring risk, they're measuring outcome. So uh, I'm one step above measuring risk, which is predicting risk. So once you get to process health, you can begin to do that, not just for safety, but for everything, because process is the nexus of where risk lives in the operation. So in short, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm going here. I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the focus on outcomes and, and predicting risks, and we'll, we'll get to, to both of those later. But for now, st uh, sticking with, with process health, uh, something you've written about in our professional safety journal is a process health checklist, kind of step-by-step, uh, you know, of how, how to go about assessing the effectiveness uh, of your process. So I, I wonder if we could just kind of take some time to walk the listeners through each of those steps and the role each of them serves. So I'm going to kind of walk through these elements. And the reason why I put these elements together is it's what I use when I look at the way people do things. And, and it might be, you know, the way you hire or the, or the way you purchase or procure or the way you do an acquisition or the way you do work, uh, you manufacture something or you service something, right? It's though all of those things are processes, the way we protect somebody uh, on safety, lockout, tag out, right? And, and processes really cover the gambit from a management system, which is a high order process, strategic process, to a program, which might be a lockout tagout program, to a work instruction. Those are all processes. So they can all be evaluated with these principles. And in a lot of times when people do audits, they go out and they look at the, 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 the real world and, and then work their way back up. I can actually look at a process and, and extrapolate it to what's really going on in the world. And I've been in many executive meetings where I said, how do you go about doing this? And, and, and then I said to them, you probably have this going on in the field. And they said, yeah, how do you know that? You've never been out in the field. I said, well, I know what this kind of thing does when it doesn't fit your culture. Right. So that's what this does. It's a predictive mechanism. So um, first thing is, is clearly defined performance expectations. So when you're writing a procedure, are you writing your procedure to the value statement, the policy expectations of your organization? So if it's health and safety, are, in the policy expectation is a level of residual risk that's acceptable and unacceptable. It, are you calibrating that process to that expectation or are you just calibrating it to a regulatory compliance standard? Okay, because if your policies that says more than regulatory compliance and you're calibrating your process to regulatory compliance, you're not going to get there. Okay. Uh, so it's got to be well calibrated to that. You know, is it risk reduction or is it compliance? And what does success look like? People need to be able to visualize what success looks like. Okay. If it's no injuries, what that looks like. If it's safe, whatever that means in your world, it's that. And everybody needs to be able to see that. Okay. So that's got to be clear in the process. Uh, and, and, and let me say, these process elements are for every process, quality, safety, ethics, whatever you want to apply them to. Uh, defined ownership and customers. We've got to be clear who owns this process, who, whose job it is 
to, to create it and evaluate it and who the customer is. And then the approach aligns with the organizational performance expectations. This sounds a lot like the first one, but it's not. And, and what this one is, it's really important. In today's world, if you go into most organizations, you're going to find overwhelmed first-line supervisors, absolutely overwhelmed. They're buried in checklists and things to do and, and expectations, okay? And here is where that burying starts, right? So if everybody's quality and safety are writing separate checklists and nobody has thought about putting all of this stuff together, and integrating those values in the design of these things, then they come down to a supervisor as choices. They come down to a worker as choices, right? So here is where I see the failure in most process design. And that is we've, we haven't sat down and looked at, okay, this might be a good checklist for safety or a good instruction for safety, but does it weave in all the other values? Does it make sense with all the other values so that somebody doesn't have to pick up something else to succeed at production and safety? So it's just as good for production as it is for safety. It's just as good for quality as it is for production, right? Those things need to be weaved in by design so they're not choices in the field. So that consideration uh, needs to be in place in the design so that we don't create unnecessary choices downstream. User buy-in to the approach. We talked about that a little bit. And I talk about this as office justified or worker justified process, right? How many times have the workers come to you and said, hey, I need another. I need another checklist. Could you just give me another checklist? Right? No. Okay. Some in the office says, you need another checklist. Okay. So is it somebody in the office saying, this is what we need to check a box or to serve a purpose? Or is it really a need from the floor and a value from the floor? Okay. Uh, so I think the users need to respect the value of the process, not just be part of the design. They need to respect it. It needs to be valuable to them. Okay. Uh, good fit for culture and work environment. Well, you can, I, I've watched people make processes that just don't fit the real world of their work environment, the real world of their culture, the decision-making that people have to make in the shop, the dynamic of the organization. You know, does this really make sense? And, and a lot of times people go out to the worker and say, hey, you know, we're going to do this checklist. Can you do this? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, along with a hundred other things they need to do. So, so yeah, they could do the checklist, but it's still a choice between that and all the other things they need to do. Instead of sitting down and saying, let's weave this stuff together, let's make it simpler for the worker and, uh, not to have to make decisions and to be effective and efficient. Repeatable. It's easy for it to be done the same way with a wide variety of dynamic in the workplace new workers versus experienced workers, contractors versus experienced workers, right? All, all of these folks should be able to pick up that instruction and do it just as easily, right? So now that cuts out this experience factor. It cuts out the training and all of that other stuff. Simple, visual, practical, okay? And a lot of times we forget about those things. Okay. Uh, and, and that really is the cornerstone of all of this measurability. If you can visually see right, and, and what I've done a lot of businesses is go in there and help them establish a visual way of seeing what right looks like. 
So somebody can walk by and say, okay, here are the steps in this process. Are we physically doing those things? Here's what it looks like. Okay. This is what right looks like. And if I walk by and I don't see that, then it's wrong. And I don't need to know all the, uh, you know, all the data about OSHA compliance. I know it's not right. And it, we've made it simple, right? So measurability along the way and measurability at the end. Have we achieved what we said we wanted to do? And, and the next one is reliable and durable. You know, I, I use these terms, easy to succeed and hard to fail. And hard to fail is much more, you know, robust than easy to succeed. Okay. Because hard to fail then puts this thing into the environment with all the other things that we need to do and the distractions that people have. And it really is a mistake proofing, you know, a uh, 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 strategy and approach and resilience for this thing. You know, can you, can it withstand your organizational dynamic, you know, acquisitions? I've watched a lot of companies acquire and that, that cultural dilution and confusion that goes on uh, when, when we acquire and, and people get spun around or we've increased the output, uh, we, we've increased or decreased the workers. All of those dynamics change the reliability of these processes. So that process has to be durable and reliable in that dynamic. And then auditable. I mean, and when I look at auditing, I look at health auditing. I don't look at inspection. I don't look at conformity. I look at looking at the process health because process health is an indicator again, of risk creation, right? So it needs to be an auditable, easily auditable process. So that's, that's pretty much it. And it's as much as a, a evaluation criteria as it is a design criteria. Now, going from, from that framework, that, that, that step-by-step process, something you talk a lot about is by looking at process health, you can predict and prevent risk, which has always been very, very interesting to me. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that, you know, how, you know, the, the framework you, you just talked about can help you not only prevent risk, but predict future risks in your workplace. Yeah. I mean, what we're looking at here in those, those, those criteria is is where are people who are going to be applying the process? Where where's the process going to fail the people? Okay, and when the process fails the people, the people create risk, or or that that you know action, whatever you want to call it, creates risk. So so the potential for risk is in the design of the process that sets people up to fail. Okay, or makes it difficult for them to, you know, to succeed or whatever it is. Uh, and that's got to be correlated to the, the environment and the climate, the culture of the organization, because that all then creates this churning and, and, and challenge for people to stay on course. And, and that's where these processes have to be resilient enough, you know, whether it be from a human dynamic or, or from a uh, eliminating choices that aren't necessary for people. And that's where I tend to go. I think we make, we set people up for choices that add no value. Okay. We, we put a fork in the road and there's an article, one of my articles, it's called the fork in the road, where we basically have set people up to have to make a decision that's non-value added. And then you know what's going to happen when you're at the end of the month and somebody is, is, driving 
uh, a certain level of production that's higher than the rest of the month, uh, well, you're, when you're not looking, your supervisors aren't looking, your employees are at the fork in the road now because they got to go faster and they believe they got to do something else and they got to leave something behind to go faster, right? They got to shed some weight. And where's that weight? The weight is typically the burden of things like safety, right? Because safety has been built into processes as a non-productive element. Now, people are going to say, what are you talking about, Pete? Well, think about this, okay? Every time I layer safety on a process without integrating it and having it add value to the process in terms of being productive, I throw on extra gloves. I throw on an extra procedure. I throw on an extra step. And that is looked at as being an opportunity to take things out, to speed things up, okay, to be more productive, to cut corners, to be to be more efficient, whatever that perspective is at the time. So what I'm saying is design it. So the safety aspect is the productivity aspect. They're together. I, if you take the safety out, you decrease productivity. Now, how often is that done? So the safety profession has to think differently about that, right? So I hope that answers your question. So what we're looking for here is we're looking for the aspects of a process they're going to set the organization up for failure, and that failure is going to create risk. And it could be quality risk, it could be safety risk, it could be ethical risk, it could be anything, because it's exactly the same approach. And in, intertwined in that, something you've written quite a bit about and you touched on earlier, is that focusing on outcomes. I wonder if you could talk a little bit, you know, kind of where where you feel like in your experience that that mindset comes from and how organizations can you know transition away from the focus on outcomes to a greater focus on you know the as we just talked about the predicting and preventing risk right you know if you swap the term outcome with results okay uh, which is the another word for outcome Okay, yeah. financial results, uh, quality results, revenue results, uh, you know, what a sales results, whatever you want to call them, right? Most of the organization is measuring results. The leaders are more focused on results on a weekly, monthly, quarterly perspective, and the the. Um, stockholders and other stakeholders are interested in results. So they're already calibrated to results. So when we brought along this OSHA recordable rate and outcomes and all that, that was results. So they were comfortable with that. It's like, because it makes sense with all the other stuff they measure, right? And then you start to bring this other stuff, which may not have a clear correlation to a result like risk. And, and they don't see the correlation between excessive risk and a change in results, it's, it's kind of a fluffy measure for them. So you've got to walk them back from results to risk. And I have this little diagram that I use, which is a rock on a, that's falling. And there's four different situations. And the rock, first rock uh, is, is hanging up there and there's somebody on the ground underneath it. The second rock, the rock fell right next to the person, the person looks at it, you know, near miss, near hit, whatever you want to call it. Third rock hit, comes down, hits somebody and, and, and scrapes their arm or, or breaks their arm. And the fourth rock hits him in the head and kills him. And the rock is exactly the same rock falling in the same place. And I ask leaders when I do a lot of leadership training, well, what is the severity difference in these four rocks? 
And they'll say the rock uh, on the right, the one that killed the person, is much more severe than the other rocks. And I'll say, no, that's technically not the case. Severity is the capacity for harm in the rock, the potential for harm in the rock, not the actuality of the outcome. Okay, so now what does that say? That says they're measuring outcomes as a factor of risk, a major factor of their perception of risk. So now I've got to say to them, oh, wait a minute, where is, where is, so it, it, do you respond the same way to the rock that kills somebody as the rock that's hanging over somebody's head? And they'll say, no, no, we'll shut down processes. We'll spend all kinds of money. We'll do all kinds of things if we have a fatality. I said, well, why are you waiting for fatality? Because that risk over there is exactly the same. Why do you have to wait for someone to get killed to appreciate somebody getting killed? And that's when they kind of go, oh, oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So now what do we really need to measure? Where's the best place to measure the severity of this rock? Over here. That's right. So you, you have to go through that kind of aha moment. It's like a 12-step process, right? <laughs> you got to, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm a failure chaser. I'm an outcome chaser. Okay. I got it. Now, I, this is how I need to get out of it. And that's how you have to move. Right. And I think that's a really good example, even though, you know, you may not have had an injury, the potential, as noted in your example, the potential is still there. And it's, you know, addressing that potential that really gets you on the path to where you want to go. And before you address it, you have to respect it. Right. And in, I see a lot of companies that gather risk data. But I don't see the executives respecting the risk exactly the same way they respect the outcome. And until that happens, you can't get ahead of outcomes, especially fatality and serious injuries. Because the frequency of those occurring is, is pretty low. The significance of them is very high. So you don't have a lot of data to look at if you're looking at outcomes. Uh, something, something else you mentioned quite, uh, quite a bit uh, walking through the checklist that, that I was thinking about a lot is culture, you know, making sure that what you're doing is fitting in with the culture. And how have you found, whether it's, you know, executive safety professionals, frontline work, how, how can you ensure that, you know, the, the steps you're taking are going to fit in with the, the, the culture of the workplace, because as you know, that that's such a critical part of this, you know, toward the, the, the effectiveness of any processes you're going to put in place. And look, culture, I think the word culture is just too generic because it's just, it's just this fluffy thing uh, that we all can kind of throw stuff into the bucket of culture, right? So I've broken it down to organizational factors and operational factors in, in pretty fine detail when I go into organizations and figure those things out, because that's where the threats and the benefits are balanced and created, right? So if we don't balance our decision-making in the organization at the top of the organization, the imbalance creates these imbalanced processes, right? So if we, we design a purchasing process or, or procurement process, here's a good example. I worked for a corporation that had tens of thousands of, of, of I mean, it had 300,000 employees, had tens of thousands of, of suppliers. And somebody who, who was new came into the supply chain leadership and said, we're going to cut them all down to 500. We're going to skin them down, and then we're going to partner with them. Okay. <laughs> and we know what the word partner means. We're going to squeeze the heck out of them. Okay. And we're going to partner with these folks. And, and, and I'm saying to myself, 
do you understand the risk associated with it? I, I, under, I know you understand the benefit that you see, but do you understand and have balanced the risk? And the risk is I've got, I'm making this really complex product and it's got one part made by one of these 500 suppliers and that 500 supplier shop just burnt down. Now I've got this million dollar thing I'm building and I can't bring it to the customer because that, you know, $400 part is missing and I have no one else to supply it. I have no backup. Okay, but they hadn't thought about that. What get, got them to that? Outcomes. They had problems. They said, oh, this 500 thing, maybe we should think about it differently. Yeah. Huh. So what I'm talking about when I say making it fit the culture is if you've got a dynamic organization, uh, you know, things are constantly changing. You're a custom shop, like you take in orders and people custom make things. Then what, what you build as process has to fit with all these elements into that dynamic, right? If you've got a office made process that doesn't fit in the reality of the dynamic of the workplace, it's not going to get followed. Somebody's going to customize that on the fly. Right. And they're going to figure out a way to make it fit. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what I mean by, you know, uh, aligning the process to the culture is it is does your process really fit the environment that people are working in? Or is it something that we thought about in the office should work? And along with that, I'm glad you mentioned because, you know, workplaces are changing so rapidly and, you know, it can feel difficult at times to keep up is, you know, ensuring, you know, that those processes will be able to evolve with the workplace that, you know, this is not going to just work for us now that it's going to work for us next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, or, or that it will be able to evolve with the changes that take place in that time. Yeah, and, and that goes back to the foresight of strategy and planning in the organization as a whole, right? So the organization's job is, is to see the future, okay? It is, right? What is our strategy? What is our market? Where's the market going? Where should we be going, right? How do we not play catch up all the time? How do we get ahead, right? And, and that's where all of these things have to be woven into that. Uh, and if, if our strategy is outward looking, and our processes are backward looking, or or at least you know static. Um, then we're going to move. We're going to move ahead of our processes' capacity to keep up with us. And then when that happens, we're going to become reactive. And once you become reactive, it's really difficult to get out of being reactive. And a lot of organizations are reactive today. And you know some of those things have happened because of COVID and and some of these external factors that have. Um, had significant implications on businesses. Um, but I've also seen businesses that were very predictive of, of things like this happening and very prepared for things like this happening. Not exactly COVID, but something like it, right? Uh, so it, it really goes into the business's ability to see the future as a whole and, and, and understand how the organization needs to be prepared for where we're going. And I would imagine you know, that that reactive mindset, it goes back to outcomes. It certainly does. We take action when when something happens, as opposed to taking the steps in advance to make sure it doesn't happen in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a firefighter for 20 years. I was a fire chief. And there's two aspects of the fire service. There's suppression, which is the firefighters, and then there's fire prevention. And, and I, I'm going to say they really don't get along with each other, but 
but they're very different modalities. Okay. The fire prevention folks, uh, you know, they'll fight fires. They go out there and do codes, evaluations, and, and preventative mechanisms, teaching, and all of this really great stuff that is really valuable. But it, it doesn't put them on the hero front page of the newspaper because that's what the firefighter does. And, and so what we've got to do is, is, is we've got to get organizations to, to kind of move from this firefighting to this prevention. And the way that you do that is, is you become more balanced in your firefighting. And what I mean by that is, is you don't forsake something in the process of trying to extinguish a fire because there's something that you forsake is going to be tomorrow's fire because you're creating a risk for tomorrow by focusing so much on this thing. And then tomorrow that's on fire. And then you imbalance something else and then something else is on fire and you're just chasing it. And I think that goes back to the point you made earlier, you know, sacrificing safety per, for productivity when to your point, it does, it doesn't work that way. Doing something like that is not going to be effective in the long run. Or the short or the short run. That's right. It's imbalancing the system, which is creating risk and, and risk may not manifest itself for a while, but you've created risk by imbalance. And, and I think if you can get to any one thing in an organization that is it, it's decision making. Uh, and I go into a lot of organizations and I do a lot of organizational work. I, I, you know, safety is certainly something I still do, but I do a lot of organizational work and I'll find most organizations don't have a way to make decisions. They have policies, okay, but there's but if you think about policy, safety policy, quality policy, you walk in the front door, you see all these things on the board, right? And and every one of those functions has a methodology of how you should be making decisions vertically on those policies. But business decisions get made horizontally, right? They have to integrate all of those policies. Okay, are we safe? Are we productive? Are we going to have good quality? Are we ethical? Right? You have to make decisions across those. And most organizations do not have a, 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 a approach to do that and don't teach people how to do that. So you get this imbalance in decision-making, which creates imbalanced processes, which create risk. Okay, that's where it comes from. So I, I mean, I've, I, again, I do a lot of leadership training and, and one of the things that uh, I've done a lot of is fatality prevention work. I've been doing that for 20 years. And when I take executives out into an operation, I have them look for safety risk, but I, I don't have them talk to the workers about safety risk. I have them talk to the workers about the process that's creating the risk or where the risk is living. Let's put it that way. Okay. And here's a good example. I was uh, in a mining operation in Canada and um, in the mining operation was a maintenance shop. And, and a lot of, a lot of rework happens in maintenance. If you don't maintain something right, if you don't do something right, it ends up breaking, breaking earlier, and then it ends up in maintenance. So you're going to see inefficiency in maintenance because it's a result. Maintenance or things breaking or wearing out is a result sometimes of inefficiencies um, or bad processes, right? So we go into this maintenance shop. It's, it's a, it, uh, a sh this is a uh, um, operation that basically takes iron and pelletizes it. There's a lot of conveyor belts. And one of the things that wears out on conveyor belts is rollers, okay? Only with a roller, right? And so we go out to the maintenance uh, area and there's these two guys. One guy is holding on to this roller on a, on a metal bench and the other guy's grinding the end of it. 
which is an awkward looking process in the first place. And if you looked at it from the safety lens, you'd say to yourself, oh, there must be a JHA or uh, they have a procedure for this or wait a minute, they're not wearing their PPE or that could fall on their foot or something gets something in their eye, right? So you'd look at it from a safety lens. What I taught these guys is, look, I want you to see risk, safety risk, because it's a great indicator of process health. And it's so visual. It's so apparent. I mean, anybody can, my, my kids can look across the street and see the guy weed whacking without his glasses on and know this wrong, or he sticks it and he actually does this. He sticks his hand down the, you know, snowblower chute and, and pulls out the stuff. I'm like, ah. they can all say, hey, dad, <laughs> that's not right. Yeah, you're right. And safety is pretty practical and common. Right. But quality isn't and productivity isn't and, and, and profit isn't. You can't see profit. Right. Unless you're really educated. But you can see safety. So when you see safety, you know, it lives with these other risks. So I said to him, go talk to them about the process. And he comes back and he says to me, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, see those rollers that they're grinding? Yeah. They're all brand new. There's a stack of them like cordwood. OK, they're all brand new. I said, well, what's going on? He said, the purchasing procurement department ordered the wrong size rollers, and these guys are trying to make them fit. And I said to them, stop. You're taking the temper out of the rollers. I, I understand what you're trying to do, and I appreciate you're trying to make the best of a bad situation. Because these, these folks are trying to do good, right? That's what they're trying to do. And a lot of people that get hurt are trying to do something constructive. Okay, they're not trying to hurt themselves. These folks are trying to do something constructive for the business. And, and what they're really doing is they're creating a failure mode for the future of that process. Because when they put those rollers on, those rollers are going to fail because they're not tempered sufficiently to last. And then they're going to go back and lift them and, and strain. And you know, all of those other exposures are going to be involved in that inefficiency created by a purchasing and procurement issue. Okay, and we would have never found the purchasing and procurement issue because it was much bigger than the rollers, let me tell you. Okay, the roller was just a symptom if we had fixed the safety issue. And I call that painting on rust. Okay, putting really, really good Emron paint on a rusty car, which is putting really good safety on a bad process. Okay, we should not be doing the process this way. Eliminate the hazard. Don't add controls, okay? Which is good for business because I can, I can really go in there and I can find an ROI very separate from safety about what we're wasting here by not making the right decisions the first time. Yeah, he could see that, okay? Uh, another example, I, had a, I was working for a, a company and they had a fatality uh, in their uh, loading and unloading operation, a, um, a worker, which was a, um, a manager, of, of, the, of the loading area uh, was walking in back of a truck and the truck driver backed over this person and killed them. And, and I heard this and, and one of the safety pros that I was working with said, I'm gonna go up there and do an investigation. I said, do me a favor. I said, ask this question. How often do trucks have to back up? How often is backing up happening? See, that was a process question. Because I knew when they said backup, that in a flow through you know, process of trucks coming in and being loaded, no one should be backing up. 
ever. Not for safety reasons necessarily, for productivity reasons. Why are you backing up? It doesn't make any sense. And when he went and he said, he called me up, he said, Pete, all the time. I said, there's a process issue there and it's been there for a long time. Now go find out why nobody has changed the process for, for business reasons. Why do we have to wait for somebody to die to realize this is an issue, right? Because it was affecting productivity. It was certainly you know, upsetting the drivers enough to say, I'm getting out of here and trying to back out. Those are both, uh, I mean, very, very good examples of, of what we're talking about. And, you know, emphasizing the need for looking at these processes and, you know, if they're actually working in the, in the way they should to, you know, make sure everybody, everybody gets home safe at the end of the day. And, and are favorable for the business, right? I mean, the, the process is there for, for the business sake. It's not there for safety sake. Safety should be integrated into the process, right? But we're, but we're not talking, we're talking about manufacturing or productivity or purchasing or whatever. Those are business processes. And, and if we don't design those business processes well, uh, then no amount of safety is going to stick. Again, the paint on the rust, right? It's not going to stick. Very well said. I think that that's a, that's a good note to end on. Uh, any anything else you'd like to add uh, about uh, process health, preventing and predicting uh, risk uh, as as we as we wrap up? Yeah, I, I think, and and hopefully we can do many more of these because uh, this is this is a lot of fun, and I hope I hope the folks are getting something out of us. One of the, the challenges in the safety profession, and to me, the challenge in the safety profession today is not a technical challenge; it's an organizational challenge. The safety professional's capacity to make a difference in the organization based on how they're respected, where they're positioned, all of those things. To me, that's the challenge today. And, and if we can bring process health to the party, it's a language that everyone should be speaking. And what I mean by that is, think about it this way. I'll go into an organization and say, are you folks disciplined around processes. I mean, could, are, are people disciplined around following processes to a T? And a lot of organizations will say no. And then I'll say, okay, every process and every process of risk is controlled by a procedure is at risk, every single one. Okay. So now process health and procedural following is common language because now I just made it common language. It's the same for ethics, the same for quality, it's the same for purchasing, it's the same for hiring, it's the same, right? It's a procedure and it's applicable to everything that's controlled by a procedure. If you say we're not following procedures, then that control is not working and it's creating risk every day. You may not be seeing the outcome of that risk, but it's just a matter of time. So now can we all get together and talk about this? Rather than the safety issue, the quality issue, the right and chasing the symptoms, can we now talk about common language? Right. And in process language is common language. And, and it's not used that way in a lot of companies. And it should be, because it's a great way to team and to create teaming objectives. And I think one of the things that separates people. And, and, and organizations, which then funnels down to the supervisor who's trying to drink from a fire hydrant, okay, 
is all of these people in these separate silos doing their separate things, all seemingly in the same direction, but separately, and they all come down separately. And, it, and if we can agree to talk up in the design aspect of those things, and the organization can set teaming objectives to say, we're all going to create processes that work on the floor, and we're going to have to work together to do that. And you're all going to be measured on how effectively you work together. And the measurement is going to be based on what the supervisors and the employees say. Then we're going to change the way that organizations operate. Very well said. Well, uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Pete. It's been a really great conversation. I hope our listeners uh, you know, take, take it and think about how they can apply it at their organization. So thank you again. Hey, anytime. And, and I'm always available for anybody that has any questions. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Join us at Safety Focus October 24th through the 28th in Columbia, Maryland and online. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.